looking at two particular psalms this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 15, and the theme there really is dwelling with the Lord. And Psalm 91, so if you want to mark these two, that would be a great idea. And Psalm 91, really the theme there is safety in abiding in the presence of God. And uh, we want to welcome you. This is a faith community family service, and uh, it's a weekly event here, and it's something that we all look forward to. We look forward to it because it is family. And speaking of family, just a moment of vanity, if I might. Next Sunday, August the 6th, will mark the start of our 29th year of ministry here, my family and I, here in Ellsworth and Hancock County. We praise the Lord for the wonderful opportunities he's given us in those 28 plus years. And uh, thank you for your support. Some of you have been with us from day one. I mean day one. I mean August of 1989. And some of you have said, how could they ever do that? How could they ever stand that? And uh, you've only been here a few weeks. Some of you are here for the first time. It's family, and we're glad you're here, and we praise his name together. Isn't it good to dwell in the place of the Lord? Isn't it good to dwell in the place of God's people? Yeah. You were excited five minutes ago, isn't it? I just heard a message yesterday, and it said sometimes we get more excited about what kind of cream we're using in the, out at the coffee bar than we do about what's being said in, in the teaching. And, and that's true, you know, sometimes. We need to refocus. Isn't it good to dwell in the place of the Lord and the God's people? There you go. The psalmist said it. David said it himself in Psalm 133, verse 1. He said, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could dwell in peace and tranquility in our everyday life? Think of this, Monday through Saturday, in the same way that we feel while we are in this environment each week as we come together to praise, to worship, and to serve Jesus. You see, the atmosphere surrounding God's family should always be an atmosphere of peace and love and joy and unity. And so I thank God this morning that we feel these wonderful things every time we come together as the body of Christ. Yet, it's not always so. Once we walk out that door... How many times have I seen and I've experienced this for myself? Let me give you a practical illustration here. My lovely wife, isn't she wonderful? We've been married for a number of years. And I can stand before you today and say our love is greater today than it's ever been. Now, that doesn't mean there haven't been some, some challenges. It doesn't mean there haven't been some trials. And I want to ask this, who among us has not had both good and not so good times? Uh, my wife and I rarely disagree much anymore. Honey, would you agree? <laughs> but it took a lot of growing 
and a lot of changing for both of us to get to the place where we are now in our marriage after so many years. It was not an easy road all the time, but it was always fun. We always were able to laugh. And I'm very glad that we chose to travel it together. And I'm glad that we were on that road and God gave us that road by His grace. And I'm glad that we were determined to stick to our commitment to one another and to God. I can only say that the Lord Himself is the one who has helped us make it thus far. And it is the Lord for sure who will continue to lead us on as long as we live for Him. I, want, I said all that to say this. Unity is a wonderful thing in a marriage, in a home, in a family, in a church. It's something we must guard. I mean guard with our lives as we would guard a precious diamond. When we walk together toward the same goals with the same vision, nothing, my friends, nothing, church, is impossible. And that's the kind of church and that's the kind of people that God can and will use to build his kingdom in the hearts of men and women. And that just kind of excites me. Because I know what kind of unity we have here. I know what kind of uh, atmosphere and environment that has been built here. Unity is a very fragile thing. It only takes one small, almost insignificant little problem or situation. It could be a harsh word spoken at the wrong time. It could be one instance of ignoring another person who needs to be noticed. I think the church is guilty of that more times than not. It could be one time of looking wrong with your eyes, just that facial expression, that body language, whatever it might be. Or, or, or one time of, of, of bringing a word of criticism when we should have kept our mouth closed. And all of us have a tendency to let our tongue speak while our brain is still in neutral. I love that old saying that said, caution, be sure brain is in gear before putting mouth into motion. And, I, and so many of us need to learn that lesson over and over and over. But now I'll let you off the hook by saying, this is not a message this morning on unity. But I just had to use this as the, as the starting point or as the, uh, as, as the takeoff point for this message. Here is what the message today is about. It's on what it takes to live in the same kind of atmosphere that we feel in God's family and around God's people when we are in unity. What does it take for mortal man to dwell with God all the days of his life? What does it take to get to the top of the hill in your relationship with Jesus? Now, I believe that we're all alike in that we would desire to tabernacle with God or or to dwell in the presence of God all the time. Isn't it a wonderful thing? Isn't it a great feeling to know that Jesus lives, if you're a believer, Jesus lives within you? I mean that the great creator, almighty God of heaven lives in your heart, and that his spirit leads you and guides you and directs you through life every single day. Isn't that wonderful? Would you agree? Yeah. So here's a psalm of David. Some say it's a psalm of Moses. Nobody really knows who it is. It could very well be David using Moses' type of language. It doesn't matter. In Psalm 91, 1 and 2, it says this, 
He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Now on we'll go to the 15th chapter of Psalms. So if you have the book of Psalms open, you've got, you've got it on your app there, just go now to Psalm 15, if you will. And it gives us the general path to walk if we're going to reach the top of the hill in our experience with Christ. Let's start walking. In verse 1, it says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell in your holy hill? Verse 2 says, He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Let's take a look at this. There's only one way to walk before the Lord and to continually enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life in a powerful, vibrant way. You must live every day as though Jesus were going to come back on that day. That's what we call a life of anticipation. That's what we call a life of faith. That's what we call a life given to him. Walking uprightly doesn't necessarily mean that you won't ever do anything wrong and that you won't ever, ever make mistakes and that you won't ever even someday perhaps fall into a really big mistake. Aren't you glad that it doesn't mean any of those things? Yeah. It means that you live in such a fashion that makes God proud to call you his child. How I love to sing that song that we share here. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And what? And what? I'm loved by you. I'm loved by you. Unconditionally loved by you. I mean, go back over your life. Have you ever seen or thought of a time, could you think of a time, when God maybe wouldn't have been so proud to brag about you? And I, you say, yeah, I think, I think there might have been a day or two. I think there might have been one time. And let me tell you what that time was. It was the time you weren't so proud of yourself either. So you didn't have to think a whole lot. When we're acting like rebellious children, I wonder if God brags on us then. I didn't ask you, I, w- I wonder if he still loves us. I said, I wonder if he's really proud of us then. So if you're going to dwell in the presence of God, then your life must show that you enjoy living for him and serving him. I I, I know for some Christian people I meet, it just seems like it's some kind of millstone they're carrying around. Like, I'm a Christian, yeah, but, yeah, (laughs) but... We should be happy to be a Christian. We should be happy to work in the kingdom of God, doing whatever is necessary for the growth of the body and the spreading of the gospel. That should be our highest pleasure. Walking uprightly, those are the words from the psalmist, means that we walk with integrity toward God and towards man. It means that we live every moment conscious of the fact that God is with us, that he sees us, he hears everything we do. We live life daily to please him, and we're doing our best not to offend God's holy and righteous character. And we're doing what we can by his leading to make him proud to call us his children. How can we think that we will dwell in the high places of God 
and still live like the world around us. We can't dwell in high places and live the low life. If you're going to dwell with God, you must begin to walk up that mountain that's spoken of here. I want to tell you, as one who's been on this journey for a very long time, and I'm not an expert, and I'm not, I don't know it all, and I haven't got all the answers, I haven't heard all the questions yet, but I can tell you sometimes it's a hard climb, because we all tend to fall short of the glory of God. But that shouldn't stop the climb, we should just keep on climbing. A rock climber can't get halfway up the face of the cliff and decide, I think I'll stop here. He's left hanging, if he does that, between reaching the top and safety or just waiting for the rope to break, allowing him to fall to his death. Now, he may have to pick a different foothold and that's what they do. They, they use picks to do that. Or rest to regain his strength for the climb momentarily. He may have to chip away at the face of that rock cliff to find a way to continue on. And he has to search and look and test. But to reach the top is going to be a struggle at times. Now he can do all those things or he can give up and go back to the ground where he started from. But giving up and going back is not an option for those who've received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Therefore, I have a message this morning entitled, There is no place to go but upward. And if you're here today and you name the name of Christ and you claim to be a child of God through faith in Christ, let me just tell you, there's no way for you or for me to go but upward. If you're going to climb up to God's holy hill and dwell with Him, you may have to face the hard times. Hey, there are times in that journey where you may have to take out the hammer. What's the hammer? The Word of God. You may have to get the tools ready. And you may, if you want to dwell with Him, you may have to face the hard times. You take the hammer, the word of God, and you chip away at that sin that may be holding you back or that thing that is just getting in your way constantly. And you're going to have to chip and chip until God gives you the handhold or the foothold or the safe space to break the power of that particular thing. You have to reach the top. There's no stopping for very long, and there's no going back. There can be no retreat because the ground where you started from is no longer there. The ground that you started from is gone forever. You'll never enjoy the old life the same again. Talk to anybody who's been in that life, who's come out of it through the power of God, and then gone back into it, and they'll tell you one after another, after another, after another, it's not the same, and I don't enjoy it, and I wish I hadn't done this, and I wish I hadn't gone back there, and now I'm in relapse, and I don't know which way to go. 
You will never, I'm going to say that again, you will never enjoy that old life the same way again. You will never find perfect peace and satisfaction scratching around on the earth with a, with a bunch of worldly chickens. Here's why. Because you, my friend, are destined to soar with the eagles on the mountaintop with God. Your old friends may act like they care. They really don't. You'll never find peace and joy and fulfillment in that old life on the ground. So just keep on climbing. God will bring you to the top to dwell in his own tabernacle and live in his high places in the realm of the Spirit of God. What else does verse 1 and 2 say? Verse 2 says, and works righteousness. We have to be careful now how we say this, and we certainly have to be careful how we listen. Walking up the road to the high places in Christ requires that we put forth a lot of effort to get there. It's not a place that we just get to by accident or by default. It's not a place we get to by knowing somebody or being in some family or or, or having relatives that got there. It's not a place where, that you get to by wishing or by hoping or by wanting or by, le- by believing that you're going to get there without some action to make it happen. See, getting into the high places in God and living in His continuous presence requires hard work, determination, focus, and total commitment. Now, how many of you, and I, can, I know the answer for a lot of you, how many of you would like to have a brand spanking, sparkling new car sitting out there in a parking lot just waiting for you to get in and take you wherever you want it to go. You greedy people, you. I mean, I mean, stay with me. Don't you just wish it could be true? Don't you just wish we could just... Make the big corporate wish right here, and when we walk out, man, there's nothing but new vehicles out there. I mean, take your pick. What do you want? Yeah. Yeah. Don't you hope that one day you might see something like that happen? I mean, do you really want that car? Do you, do you believe you will see it? Do you see yourself in it, even though you're not in it? And you're going to have that one day. Well, friend, you can wish. You can hope. You can want, you can believe and see it for all you want, but if you don't get out there and go to work, if you don't earn the money to pay for it, if you don't search for it, if you don't sign for it, if you don't maintain it when you get it, you'll never have it. Anything worth having is going to require work, effort, time, and commitment to make it come true. Now, the same is true, be very careful here, in reaching the high places in your experience in the Lord. This is your growth, I'm talking about, in the Christian life. You're going to have to put feet and hands in motion to prove your faith and do some works of righteousness, otherwise the psalmist wouldn't have said it and the Holy Spirit wouldn't have left it in the Holy Writ if you're going to dwell in the high places of God. James himself talks about this in his letter in James chapter 2. He says, faith without works is dead. He's talking to Christian people. Have you ever seen anybody fall up? 
Have you ever fallen? How many have ever taken a fall? Like on the ice or down the cellar steps? Hello? Boy, did that hurt. Woo! I've never seen anybody fall up. When they fall, it's always down, not up. Why? Because gravity determines that you won't fall and then all of a sudden float up. You're going to come down hard. You're you're never just going to... Listen, in the spiritual world, you're never going to just float up in God. Just coasting along in your Christian experience without spending some time. Boy, Todd really set this up last week. Thank you. That's going to be a really great series that we're in with Todd. It's just so good, so practical, so down where we live. But you're going to have to spend some time in prayer. You're going to have to spend quality time reading and digging into and digesting the precious Word of God, the Bible. And you're going to have to work in the place where God has called you to work for Him. And if you don't, you probably are not going to get into the high places with God. You have to work at it. You have to commit to it. Then you will see your progress up that mountain. You have to bear fruit that shows your determination to reach the top. Now, I'm just to clear the record here, I, I know my theology a little bit. This is not salvation by works I'm preaching. This is spiritual growth of the sincere believer. I want to make that clear. You don't earn salvation. No such thing as salvation by works. No such thing as you do this, 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 stop doing that, and do something else, and do this, and do this, and do this, and then you'll probably make it to heaven. That, that's not the way it works. Salvation is all in the person of Jesus Christ. It's by grace that you're saved through faith in Him. But I'm saying your spiritual life doesn't end there. And there are so many scriptures that direct us on how to live after we're already in God's family. And then the next thing that uh, verse 2 says, and speaks the truth in his heart. I just want to remind you that you can't fool God. Probably all of us have tried to at times. You can't pull the wool over his eyes. God knows the very thoughts and what? Intents of your heart. Before you think it and before you see it and before you do it and before you react to it, he already knows what your intentions are. I don't know why we think we can fool him. I don't know why we think we can pull the wool over his eyes, but we can't. And here's something else. God knows if you mean business or if you're just giving him lip service. God knows if you're on fire for him or you're just a smoking ember that's starting to grow cold. Folks, we have to be honest with God. And in this, and and a lot of people don't get this teaching, and I'm sad that they don't, but I'm going to explain that in the simplest of terms that all even I can understand. So that means there's a lot of hope for you. We need to tell them how we feel. Don't have to hold back. You need to tell him what you think. You you, you need to let him hear your complaints, your disappointments, your doubts, your fears, your inability to climb higher because there's some obstacle in your life holding you back. You need to tell God all about it. I mean, you can tell me. Or you can tell Pastor Todd, or you can tell a really good Christian friend, 
But the truth is we can't do anything about it. Only God can remove the obstacles or help you overcome them. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to ask him for help. God won't get mad if you gripe to him. He will answer you. I'm going to say it again. He will answer you, even though we don't always like his answers. The Apostle Paul says we should pray without ceasing. Hmm. Christian, are you listening? We should pray without ceasing. There is no doubt that some of us have a motor mouth. We never stop talking. I mean, there are people, when you say, hi, how are you? You're there for the day. You might as well set up your tent. We talk so often when we should be listening. We talk when we actually should be observing or watching instead. So what do we do? We talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk some more. without really saying much that really matters. Why then can we not pray without ceasing? Why can't we talk to God constantly like we can talk to one another? God wants to hear about your vacation. It's not like he doesn't know where you went, but he wants to communicate with you. God wants you to talk to him about your troubles, about your trials, about your obstacles. He wants to hear about your zits in life, whatever they are, whatever form. God wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear even the inner voice that you have, even when others don't want to hear and they don't want to care, God really cares. So let's be open. Let's be truthful with God. He's a big God. He can take your bad attitude. He can take your fussing and fuming and griping. He can actually change your heart and he can actually get you in the right direction and he can actually give you a foothold so you can make it up that mountain. God wants his children to talk to him in prayer. And thank you, Pastor Todd, for setting that up last week. If you ever want to dwell with God in his high hill, first learn to communicate openly and honestly with him and not just play church. In verse 3, what does he say in, in Psalm 15? He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, 
Let me ask, how, how, how can we ever expect to experience God's best if we don't treat other people as nicely as we should, especially those who are in the family of God? We should be kind. We should be gentle. We should be truthful to all people all the time, no matter where we are and no matter what the situation. I know people who will be kind and they'll be gentle and they'll be loving in the church setting, but you look at the checkout line, look out, look out, look out, here they come. I never go to the grocery store. I'm afraid I'm going to see another one of those confrontations and it's going to be somebody I know or somebody I interface with every Sunday. And I'm so embarrassed I want to crawl under the produce counter. Oh, that store clerk better be wearing some armor because here comes that Christian and, and, and that, that clerk is going to get the full brunt of the pent-up frustration that's walking in those shoes. And I'm not making this up. I have seen Christians who praise God on Sunday morning and then tell off a waiter at lunch right after the service is over on the very same day. Or you leave some kind of measly little tip that doesn't amount to five cents. Said, you sound angry about this. I'm not angry, I'm just telling you the truth, and I think it's shameful. Do you think you can think whatever you want to think? Some people choose to be wrong. Does this little experiment do this with me? How many of you, how many of you get out where I can see you? How many of you have ever bit your tongue? You know, you're chomping away in something you really like. Okay, over there, how about over here? How many have ever bit your tongue? Man alive. Is there anything that gets your attention quicker? And you're going, oh, is there blood, is there blood? Oh, man. It hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. I mean, you come up quickly on that one. huh? I, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I said, you know, if we would bite our own tongue instead of letting our tongue bite other people, we'd live in a better world. And that's exactly what the psalmist is saying. See, your tongue wasn't made for backbiting. What was it made for? To speak the truth, to praise the Lord, to communicate love and compassion for other people. And it was made for something else, too, if you want a practical side. It was made so you could lick your lips. Mmm. See, there's a purpose for everything, and you just think there's some going to be some deep spiritual meaning to all this. Well, there has to be some practicality to it as well. Your tongue wasn't created so you could spend your life backbiting. Use your tongue for the right reason. I don't think I've ever heard me say that before. I'm going to say it again. Use your tongue for the right reason. Mm. Praise God with it. Tell the truth. Communicate love. Express compassion. And lick your lips. Oh, that's all fine for you to say, Bob. But but you know, I I I I have to I have to I have to kind of kick back sometimes because uh, I was treated badly. I don't have this on the screen. I should have had it, but I want you to write it down. Anyway, especially you note-takers that are diligent about this. Look, life starts getting brighter for you 
when you learn to accept the apology you never got. I don't mind if you look at the floor, that's fine, it's okay. No, no, I'm serious. That's tough, that's a tough one. Life starts getting better for you when you start learning to accept the apology you never got. I know all kinds of people who are still living, waiting for that apology to come. You might as well forget it. You're not hurting anybody. Oh, yes, you are. You're doing severe damage to yourself. You say, well, you don't know my past. I just can't seem to get over it. Here's another doozy for you. Never be defined by your past. It was just a lesson, not a life sentence. Nobody has to be stuck in their past. Nobody. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today. Anybody know the rest of that verse? And forever. Reverse the course and say, as of today, that past stuff is past. And I, with God's help, am moving forward. Don't be defined by your past. It was just a lesson, not a life sentence. Too many people, I shudder when I have to say this, but too many people have been killed by the power of the tongue. Why just don't we speak life into the heart of other people instead of speaking death to them through criticism? And that's what we're doing. We can control our hands. We can control our feet. We can control our whole body. We can make this body do what we want it to do, usually. But there are very few who can control that one little muscle called the tongue. We can stick it out at other people. We can wag it and spread gossip. That's called character assassination. We can use it to lash out. But very few of us, sad to say, and let's pick up on this and improve on this, all of us, very few of us use it enough to bless people with the right kind of blessings. So I challenge you, how can we treat one another this way and expect to climb that mountain? We're not going to get up that mountain doing that. And we want to let God live within us. Of course we do. God can't and God won't dwell in a house that is full of bitterness, full of hatred, and full of the critical spirit, on and on and on. What does verse 4 say in Psalm 15? In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. If you're going to climb up that spiritual hill and dwell in the high places with God, you cannot be a friend of the world because the world is at enmity with God. When I say world, I mean the cosmos. I mean the world system. I mean everything that's out there around us that's beckoning us to come and follow it. Certainly God wants us to care for the world and witness for those in the world, yet God has placed us, yeah, it's, it's a filthy, dirty, wicked world. And, 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 and it expects us to still live right and, and enjoy its pleasures. You can't do it. Where God wants us to live right and work to build or help to build His kingdom. That's the exciting part of being a Christian. 
we cannot agree with those who love sin. We have to hold in contempt everything and any, everything and anything, I guess, that disagrees with the Word of God. We can't condone anything that's unjust or sinful. And it doesn't matter what it costs us to take that stand. We must take that stand. And just as a little side note here, just going down a different path for a moment, although it's very connected, friends, I, I, I've been involved and actually personally engaged on the inside row of the political world, both at the local and the state level, for some 20 years now. Tell me something. When or where did God say that it was acceptable to choose to support the wicked just to get what we want or need? God said that he would be the one to supply all of our need according to his riches in glory by Christ. It's not the vote or the power of some wicked, unregenerate, self-centered politician who couldn't speak the truth in his or her life if his or her life depended on it. We often place our trust in man, but not in God. And that warps our thinking so that we're easily deceived and we start leaning on the arm of flesh instead of on the power of God. Ian Thomas said this, Follower of Jesus, listen. Every day the world will drag you by the hand yelling, This is important, and this is important, and this is important, and this is important, and you need to worry about this and this and this. And every day, Christian, it's up to you to yank your hand back, put it on your heart and say, no, this is what's important. Not what's out there, but who's in here. We're going to dwell in high places with God. We need to sharpen our sense of right and wrong. I'm afraid in the Christian world today, we've watered things down to the point where that's kind of, that line's kind of getting blurry and it's getting kind of mushy. We, learn, we need to learn to discern what is the will of, the, of God and what is the will of the flesh. You see, the world system's thinking is backwards. It's all reversed from that of God's. And all too often, God's own children line up with the world's way of thinking. Many times, unbeknown to themselves, they just do that. And the world honors those who are successful, and it it doesn't always matter how they manage to get their success. God honors those who are successful too, but only if they obtain that success through righteous, holy, and sanctified means. In verse 4, he says, He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Verse 5, who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Would you read the rest with me? He who does these things shall... Nice. We're talking here about integrity. Lost word, today's world. Very lacking. I hate to say it, I read another story of it again this week. Even in the family of God, even in church leadership, I don't know how to say it, but I'm going to try. If you are going to live 
in the high places with God, you will have integrity. That's the simplest form that I can put it in. You know, there was a time in our nation, some of you might be, I'm sure you do, you remember, I do remember these days very well. A man could walk into, let's say, a, a bank and borrow money, and he could have the confidence that he could pay it back without being robbed with high interest rates, and he'd pay it back when he said he'd pay it back to the tune that he agreed, and he'd seal the deal with his word and with a handshake. And his word was just that, it was his word. That was his seal. It was all that was necessary because people had, many people had integrity. And they would do actually, actually, actually do what they promised. And sad to say, you and I both know those days are long gone forever. Both those that loan and those that borrow many times are untrustworthy. Today's world is just topsy-turvy. It's upside down. The loan company has to cover their loan by mountains of paperwork and binding contracts that will tie up the customer in legal battles and liens and all the rest of it. And they may get their money and they may not. There are a lot of unscrupulous loan sharks out there who will charge you outrageous rates of interest. That's usury. That's what that is. And you will never be able to pay off your loan and the highest legal interest. Now, the highest legal interest in the state of Maine right now is, is well, some say it's 15%. It's 15% if the borrower agrees to that. If the borrower agrees to 21% or 24% with a national company outside of the state of Maine, then that's what the interest rate is. By statute in the state of Maine, the interest rate is 6%, and here's the wording, unless otherwise agreed to beforehand, and uh, it, it, it is more, uh, and, and, and it's more than a general, it's just a general guideline. To call it a law is almost, that's just a stretch. And you have to look at all the fine print of that law or of that statute and all the fine print of that piece of paper you're signing and all of the fine print of whatever you're getting notarized, et cetera, et cetera. It means something like this, that if you had a, uh, let's just say you take a loan, let's say $50,000 for an older home that needs a lot of work, and you put up a mortgage on that home for the full amount, you'll probably pay $250,000 or more over the life of a 20- or 30-year note. And that's if it has a fixed interest rate. And if it's a floating interest rate, you will be pretty well through the millennium before that's paid off. I don't wonder, and I could give you other examples, and, and that was just a raw example, but I don't wonder that God had prom has promised us over in the book of Revelation that all business, all industry, and all commerce under the present world economic system will have to be utterly destroyed. Why? Because the system needs to be destroyed so the righteous system of God's economy can bring prosperity during the millennial reign of Christ. I can't wait for that day when your work will really bring prosperity and every man's work will be blessed. Even so, Come, Lord Jesus. Hmm. Those who will dwell in high places. Think of that. Those who will dwell in the safety of God's holy hill. Those who will let God tabernacle with them will never be found guilty of such practices. 
if we really love people, if we really love God, we will never do things to harm those people or to destroy them or to bring them down to nothing, even at the expense of losing something of our own. This is where the rubber meets the road here, to see that they are taken care of. Where did that go in our world? Where did that go in the, in, in the body of Christ? We must learn to take the fault and not complain and let God make things right according to His plan whenever it's time to do so. We play judge and jury and, and hangman and God all at once. We make all these decisions. And whoever gave us those rights... Whoever said that we can do this, we must not do anything at the expense of others, even if it costs us to lose something. And and, and let me just say, are we taking care of others? And is that our priority? Or are we taking care of ourselves only? Do we really care? about that other person that has a need? Or do we much more care about what we consider our needs and those are the priorities? Well, the Bible says that we must learn to take the fault and let God handle making everything right again in His time. Just try it. Just try it. Verse 5 concludes. You did a great job reading that. And he who does these things shall never be moved. That's your homework. Just read this 15th Psalm over and over a few times this week. And just let those words sink in. Here it is. Here's the clincher. If we will learn to dwell in God's high place, if we will learn to allow Jesus to control our lives, We'll never be defeated. Never. You see, God's people sometimes live in defeat because we're not giving God first place in our lives. And by the way, He's not interested in sharing first place with anybody. As we often sing around here, give it all to Jesus. Give it all to Him. What's that mean? It means you're letting him rule. You're letting him reign in your life. You're letting your life reflect the teaching that you've heard today of this great psalm of David. And you'll never be moved from the presence of the Lord. Think of that. Now, for those of you who might not know Jesus, I didn't say know who he is or heard about him or seen pictures. I'm saying, those of you who don't know him personally, let me say that your first step is to know that you're not climbing yet. You're still in the valley of decision. So first, you must come to Christ, confess that you are a sinner, and you're unworthy of anything that God has to offer. Confess Him as your Lord, the Lord of your life, and let Him come into that life and wash away that guilt and that shame and that past and whatever else it is that's bothering you. For He wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your friend. And He wants to have a close 
relationship with you. Then you can start your climb into the high places with God today. Then He will come to you and He will dwell with you and He will be your God. I want you to just take a moment, if you wouldn't mind, to grab that Connect card that's in the seat pocket, either in front of you or beside you. And if that's a decision that's neat, that you need to make, or maybe you've made it, or maybe you feel God calling you right now, I'd just like you to put a little information on the front of that card, just your name. We don't need to have all that other information just now. But then just flip the card over, and on the back there are some places that you can fill in how you felt when you first visited or how you feel being here. And then those that apply, become a a follower of Christ, would like to know more about a relationship with Christ and so on, just check off the box that, uh, that pertains to you. Maybe you're interested in baptism, church membership, whatever it might be, opportunities to serve, whatever that is, if you just fill that card in and see that I get it or that Pastor Todd gets it or you can drop it in one of the boxes in the entryway. Because once you're his and he's yours, there is no place to go but upward. Can we just pause for a moment of prayer? Precious Heavenly Father, thank you that you're just that. A good, good Father. Thank you for the way you lead in our lives. Thank you for the truths that you've imparted to us through your word. Thank you, Lord, for those who have delivered those truths. And thank you, God, for those who've accepted them. We pray today for anyone that might be here outside of your grace. Lord, I just pray that you will come to them at this time and bring them to you. Lord, it's not because of church. It's not because of a message. It's not because of good works. It's because of your faith, our faith in your grace, the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. And Lord, it is finished. And we're to partake of it and drink all of it and have it, not just for today and not just for a lifetime, but for all of eternity. And for that, we're truly grateful. And as a body, we give you thanks. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to listen to the words of this song. It's really a captivating song and one that I think will really bring home the message. Bless you. I could just sit I could just sit and wait for all your goodness Hope to feel your presence I could just stay I could just stay right where I am And hope to feel you Hope to feel something I
Down, but 